Hello, I'm Jensen Beeler. And I'm Quentin Wilson. And together we are the Two Enthusiasts Podcast. The Two Enthusiasts Podcast. A podcast about dick jokes with some discussion about motorcycles. <laughs> it's kind of true. Lately, like it's been a little dirty lately. Like, yeah. I feel like we need to class it up just like, not a lot, like not classing it up a lot, but like a little bit. Taking the C and the L out of class is what I'm saying. See, this is what I'm talking about. Like, this is why we're not a family show. Someone sent me an email that he was like, oh, I love listening to your podcast with my family. I'm like, mm, 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 mm. no, no, I say no. excellent, excellent. No, this is what I like to hear. <laughs> the, the, I mean, the nation's youth, the, the listenership's youth being brought up with excellent pun jokes, and uh-huh. dick jokes every once in a while. Dick jokes. Hey, you know, it's, you gotta, this is what the world's like. Uh, so Quentin, I have finally recovered from the Intermont coverage, which is, uh, dominated the news headlines for the last week or so. Yep. Uh, busy, busy week. Uh, which is kind of funny cause Intermont's like the diet Coke version or it's the, it's the, it's the pro bowl to Eichmann's super bowl. Mm. You know, it's, it's only one day it's in Germany and Germans are weird. And, um, Eichmann's in Italy, which is. Well, that's pretty weird, too. Italians are weird. Italians are weird. But it's two days. Eichmann is two solid days of good announcements where Germany or Intermont's really only one. Okay. But we did see some cool stuff. And uh, I wrote a story about the three trends that I kind of saw coming out of Intermont. And I kind of wanted to use that as a, a guidepost for the show today. But I think we want to rabbit hole into some other stuff as well. Sure. So we'll see where it takes us. So so to, to road sign it a little bit, this... Road sign it. Signage. Okay. That's a that's a that's a blue sky yeah. paradigm shift, dude. This, Synergistic, that's, really. All oh, the synergies are strong <laughs> here. Yeah, we're gonna have to reduce our, redund- our redundancies, though. <laughs> I can do this all day. Uh, I got I got I, I spent like ninety thousand dollars to be able to do this all day. So that's that's MBA double speak, basically. So right? we literally, I, we had a couple friends in business school. There's you can get this business buzzword bingo bullshit like game it's like bingo but it's business buzzwords and we would just sit in class and play this game and then you just hear like 15 minutes and someone be like oh bingo yeah be like oh yeah yeah synergy is the uh the free word in the middle (laughs) you know the the free square yeah oh man it's it's funny it's its own little thing so road sign what the fuck do you mean by road sign just 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 like tell people where we're gonna go where we're going exactly it speaks for itself. See, uh, this is all very straightforward. Sure. Um, well, if there's an arrow pointing forward, then it's straightforward, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. <laughs> all right, then road sign it. <laughs> you got a little tikka masala on you. You yeah. got a little. You got a little spicy curry. All right. Uh, anyways, that being said, uh, I, I do think there's three interesting trends to see come uh, come out of Intermont. Uh, one we saw. More homologation specials coming to the marketplace um, from the OEMs for for superbike and regional, national level racing. We definitely saw a lot more heritage, post authentic, retro, hipster, whatever you want to call them, bikes coming out from a number of brands. And talk about buzzwords: post authentic, post heritage. That's. I mean, how do you right. want to describe that space? Like it's I, just. I know. It's just, vintage. It's the same modern thing, vintage. Oh. Whatever. You know what I'm saying. Bikes that look old that aren't. It's like good pornography. It's really hard to describe, but you know it when you see it. And then uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, IMUs, inertial measurement units, and their kind of uh, 
Well, electronics in general really is what we saw at Intermall. We saw a lot of uh, companies coming off quick shifters. It's a lot like skidding IMUs. And that's, I think that's a really important moment for the industry. So I want to talk a bit about it with you. Right. Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. I think the bike of the show, or at least the bike that's going to like take up the most of our discussion is the new, and I'm using new with the quotes, Honda CBR, double R, SP and SP2, which debuted at uh, Intermont. Okay. Why is it the bike of the show? Well, I think, I think it was one that was the most anticipated. I know from a traffic perspective on asphalt and rubber, you know, it, it dominated a lot of headlines. I do think it's interesting to see uh, what Honda has done with their current Superbike platform to make it into its, you know, racing platform going forward. I think it's really interesting that we're seeing the SP and SP2 models debut here at Intermont, whereas we'll see a base model debut at ICMA. It's kind of like, I think if you did it the other way around, we'd yeah. be a lot more disappointed. Um, cause it's, it's really kind of cool to see like, oh yeah, here's this bike. It's coming out with semi-active suspension. It's got a titanium fuel titanium. tank. Yeah. Titanium fuel tank and titanium exhaust and all this. It lost 33 pounds and it's 190 horsepower. Like it's, it's actually a pretty light bike, 440 pounds, uh, at the curb, which puts it in really good, uh, position against, uh, the new Jixer, which we'll talk about the current R1, the current, uh, Kawasaki, so it's just kind of down on power, but I don't know. That was like the, the funny thing, I think, when um, all the buildup and, and some details leaked out before the Intermont show about, it, oh, it lost 33 pounds. And like, that's a shit ton of weight. That is a shit ton of weight. But then like you sit there and like you realize like you start doing the math, you're like, oh, so now it weighs what it's supposed to? Yeah. Oh, okay. It, it puts into perspective, I think, how far behind Honda let themselves get. I was talking to a couple on friends in the industry I, I you know mostly as news of internet was breaking and i was talking to people about it and, and chasing down things for stories but i did like a little straw vote on on people's impressions of of this bike and it coming out and i think everyone was like yeah it's cool it's good you know if it had come out like five years ago that would have been epic all right so thinking about it you just keep forgetting because it was you're we're so used to a two-year three-year gestation period it's been since 2008. Yeah. I mean, almost really, a decade. Really, since the, I mean, there's been iterative changes, which is wonderful. That's great. But it's really about the same. And that bike and 2008, yeah, good handling chassis, but not powerful, not yeah. horrible, but not great. Did it win many races before? I mean, when was the last time Honda? Had a streak in World Superbike. Well, that's the thing, right? You know, the the Superbike platform, and I'm, I'm so reluctant to use, like, Superbike or G GPs even worse, but any sort of, like, racing, like, oh, here's the, the yardstick on how good this bike is because Superbike, for a long time, what's been on the racetrack really hasn't been that similar to what consumers have been getting. Yeah. But I will say, like, Honda, for the Superbike efforts, it's been tough, and that, that's been the, the bike that, you know, it, it was kind of like the Ducati MotoGP. Honda was the the career ender and and Superbike in a way, just because it was the only person that seemed to get on with that bike with Jonathan Ray. Yeah. And even then, you would it was either he was going to do really well on it or he was going to crash because he just had to be on that knife's edge. Yeah. The entire time to to get it to do the result. Riding kind of maniacal, right? You'd see Johnny Ray 
he would be overriding it. It would. It was impressive. Uh, I was just looking up results from Suzuka Eight Hour just because I was curious. Yeah. The last two years, the R1 has won. That is a big uh, test for Honda. Like if you want to see something that Honda puts all of its effort into, it's mm-hmm. at Suzuka Eight Hour because. It's, it always has been like they're very prideful. Oh, that that race. I love that that race is becoming more prominent, but that race has always been the private pissing ground for the Japanese OEMs and Honda for the most part dominates it. That's where Honda kind of marks its stamp on saying like, hey, we are the leader in the Japanese market. We and, are the. And the fact that the past two years in a row, Yamaha's beat them. Yeah. And that's. I, I would have to look at the list of the racers that they had. I know they've been trying. They've had a couple of good. Well, so I think last year Johnny they, Ray on one of no, yeah. he, of course not. He was on the cow. He would be on a cow if he did that. Right. Who would be on? Well, the, Jonathan Ray's done it before in the past. Casey Stoner did it last year. He won. He was actually on the winning team in 2012. Yeah. Johnny Ray on the Honda. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Uh, Casey Stoner, of course, though he crashed when the throttle got stuck open, and I want to say this year they had a. A mechanical issue as well. Yeah. So that's tough. But Nikki, they had Nikki on the bike, uh, Vandermark. And to be sure, those bikes are super, super, super trick. They're not really no, yeah. that much of an analog for even a normal world super bike, but they are. No. It, uh, it does show to a point that what the chassis is capable of um, and, and a, a bit on the engine side, but they all have to kind of detune them to be eight hour. Right. So there's, it's kind of an interesting thing the way all the bikes end up having to be a little bit down on power compared to what they would be if they were short circuit racing. So it kind of evens it out a bit. And then also fuel. They have to, fuel stops are huge. They have to play fuel with the fueling. So that means a lot of the bikes might not necessarily be as powerful as they could be. So it's a, it's a handling and pit stop uh, strategy deal. Right. So I know it's not showing, hey, this is why Honda sucks. It's just eh, two Yamahas. I mean, in the last 10 years, geez, it's, it's Honda, 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 Honda. Fuck, it's, it is that way for <laughs> a couple decades. Every once in a while, you get a Jixer in there, and that's it, yeah. right? Yeah. Anyway, all right, so there's that. Uh, so this bike, the super fancy version, uh, the SP. So the SP. And the SP2. The SP2. So I, I talked to Honda today, actually, about those bikes. So the SP2, uh, true homologation special, they're going to make... Um, 500 of them over the course of two years, just whatever the minimum world superbike homologation requirements are going to be. Um, and that's across the world market. So we're not going to see that many of them in the U S uh, the, the, the market for them is larger in Europe than it is here. So we'll get even fewer. Uh, and the way American Honda is going to go about it is these bikes are really just going to be kind of earmarked for racers. Yeah. Professional racers. And I don't, I had a, we had a, a bit of a conversation trying to define what that really means. Uh, Rich guys. Well, no, all so girls. That's the thing. Like, so Moto America, you know, license holders. Yes, absolutely. Um, AFM, we're uh, type people. Maybe not. If they um, have enough money, they will. If they've been on a Honda bike for five years and are fighting for you know uh, expert class superbike number one plate yeah maybe but you know these bikes are gonna be very limited in quality we're in quantity and uh you'll be able to get them from dealers but we're not quite really quite sure how yet if it's going to be like a sign-up process or what dealers are getting what so it's kind of to be determined but the big thing with the sp2 is that it has uh there'll be hrc race kits available 
And for the US, those are definitely, you're going to have to have a racing license. That's going to have to be a race bike. It might even be like a kind of thing where you have to lease a, a race, an SP2 from American Honda. You don't even get to buy it because there's a lot of EPA concerns sure. with, with the race kit parts. And this is just like what we saw with the RC211 3VS, the MotoGP bike for the street with the race kit not coming to the US because that was a street bike. And they're trying, Honda's very much trying to be the good citizen with the EPA in terms of selling kind of these aftermarket kit parts and making sure they don't end up on the street. So this is, it's kind of a conservative approach. It's maybe not the one that consumers are going to love the most, but they're definitely trying to- It's only going to affect 50 consumers at the max, maybe. In the US? I I mean, like, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're buying an SP2, you probably want the race kit, but like if you're buying an SP2 and not necessarily a a race, a racy racer. Sure. um, Yeah. It's going to be tough to get your hands on one if, if not impossible. I fancy myself a racy racer, not just a racer, but a racer. I've seen the photos, you know, you got good (laughs) legs, man. That hair, (laughs) that flowing mane of a hair that you have. (laughs) Decoy. It makes me racy racer. Uh. (laughs) At least I'm not a racist. Yeah. It's right. better to be a racy racer than a ra- than a racy racist. <laughs> a racist racer? Oh, God. There's a pun in there somewhere. I just uh, can't suss it out. Yeah, we'll stop. We'll yeah. stop there. Okay. So then the the SP, SP, SP2 is one part, but then there's a in between. There's, so there's an SP. So this isn't that different really than, than the current setup where we're going to have a base model CBR. We're going to have a higher spec model SP that's going to have the better suspension, the better wheels. Electronic suspension. Uh, so yeah, it's going to have the Olin semi-active uh, suspension, electronic suspension. Which is the same thing or similar to what's been on Ducati since 2012, right? So there are a number of bikes have this. So the Yamaha uh, R1M has this. Um Wow, five years. have had it. The Panigale S has had the, it. The Panigale has been out for five years. Panigale is an old girl. That is so strange to think about. Yeah. That's five years. Okay. All right. So um, one more year. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so it'll be. So yeah, it, it's got the 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 wigs the 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 higher uh, spec components, and then you have the SP2, which is the true homologation special. This is a platform for racing, and it comes with uh, a host of improvements to the engine. And if I click the right button here i can tell you what those are oh it's got to reload the page oh good please tell me that you just clicked on something and had to went to the picture nope nope okay. nope i'm not an idiot <laughs> um <laughs> so the the sp2 has the same 76 millimeter bore but the valves are larger and there's titanium are they tritanium i don't know what they're made out of to be honest actually just like the uh the fuel tank the valve angles are different the uh, really? the cylinder piston crown design is different. That he treated the piston boss. The the valve angles, yeah, the included angle of the valve yeah. is different by a degree. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so higher lift cam. I mean, they did. Yeah. They basically did. You know, they they basically changed out the top end. Yeah, it's like a whole um, top end deal because that's. I mean, you could do that with a one the same casting, but to change included angle. I mean, that's. I would have to see what the system is to actuate the valves. If there's rockers in there, you could probably do it without. Yeah, that's fascinating. I'm I'm gonna have to do a. I'll be interested. This sounds like a Kevin Cameron article coming out. He'll probably 
dive deep into it, but maybe that's something that uh, we should. There's some super techie stuff. Yeah, it'd be interesting to do that. But I want to. I want to know. You can tell why they're doing it because they're 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 making the bike. They're making the necessary changes to the SP2, so then the race teams can use that to do the hot rod stuff that they need to do to build power. So it's interesting in that respect. And that's what, that's the purpose of this bike. You know, it's a true homologation special. It's, it's special changes made to it so that the race teams can utilize those changes and take it to the racetrack and win races. So this is the bike that Nikki Hayden's going to be on next year. So it, it'll be interesting to see uh, how it performs on the racetrack. But I think for, for most consumers, it's going to be the SP2. And I'll be very curious to see what the base model looks like at ICMA and more importantly, what they price it at. Um, so yeah, I'll be very curious to see what it's like on the racetrack. I'll be especially curious to see at EICMA what the base model looks like. I think, I don't think we're going to see really any engine changes. I think, um, bold new graphics, different graphics, different graphics, lower spec suspension, maybe different wheels. I'd be curious to see where it is with price. Um, the current CBR in the U S goes for 14 grand. Uh, we see the Yamaha going for about 16.5. The ABS version of the Ninja is going to go for 15. So I think, I think, uh, or sorry, no, the ABS version goes for almost 16. The non ABS goes for 15. So I think there's, there's an opportunity. I don't know if the Honda can compete for price as strongly as, as the other bikes can, but, you know, be very curious to see how they price that base model and what kind of amenities it comes with. I think, I don't think we're going to see it be as light as the other bikes. So if the SP is 33 pounds lighter, I think there's an opportunity for, uh, it maybe to be 20 pounds lighter or, or, or what I don't, you know, I'm not quite sure what the breakdown is on, on the, the It'll weight. probably savings. have a steel tank instead of titanium. Steel tank. I mean, titanium, titanium is an interesting choice. And, and I asked Honda about that and we haven't gotten a response back. They've got to talk to some development guys. So that'll probably have to be something we bring up in a different show, but it's an interesting choice to pick titanium for a fuel tank. Um, yes. especially when you can make a tank out of aluminum, aluminum is a lighter metal than titanium, uh, just in sheer you know, if you have a square meter at, you know, eight mil thickness, it's going to weigh less than the comparable size in titanium. And but th that confuses a lot of people because they think that titanium is lighter. It's just that you can use less of it because it has better properties, whether it be strength or springiness or whatever. There's certain things that it has that aluminum does not have for sure. So you can use less of it, which makes most titanium parts lighter. If you're talking about a, a stamped, I don't know if it would be stamped, whatever it is, even if it's a weldment and it's beaten, hand beaten, it's a certain thickness of a, t of a, of a fuel tank. I'd love to know why they chose it. Is it, is it have to be mounted in a certain way that aluminum would crack, which could be, but anytime aluminum would crack, you'd imagine tie. I, I'm very curious to see what they say about this because that maybe if they just say, yeah, we use way thinner wall thickness than we, we would with aluminum tank done. Okay. All yeah. Right, fair enough. Or maybe there's something in the fabrication process to bring the pieces together. The welds can be lighter or yep. or there's some something. special sure. thing that they can do with titanium that you can't do with, say, aluminum or steel where it's it creates an airtight or a fuel tight cell in a, in a lighter way. I mean, yeah, I'll be very curious to see what the answer is and, and what the reasoning is. Um, it's, a, it's a first in the motorcycle industry. So there's that. Yeah, sure. Uh, I think when you're coming from a big, heavy steel fuel tank it you know maybe you don't have to spike the football as hard with an aluminum one 
on the weight side, but you can say, hey, we made a titanium one. That's a first. Isn't that cool? Uh, I'll be curious to see if the base model CBR has a titanium exhaust. Yeah. Um, it's certainly something we've seen in the space before for weight savings, but it'll be it'll be very interesting. I, I think it was really smart for Honda to debut the SP and the SP2 ahead of the base model, because I think if we saw the base model first, I don't think it would be, I don't think we'd be as wowed. Much less wow factor, sure. You know, especially since we don't have firm pricing on the SP and SP2, where American Honda's saying, you know, a little less than 20 grand for the SP, a little less than 25 for the SP2, but that's not in concrete yet. And so it's like, well, you know, we're kind of comparing, it's like, I'm trying to think of like a, a good analogy. We're not really doing an apples to apples analogy here. We're doing like a, uh, like a Mike's, or like an apple cider to apple analogy in a way, if that makes sense. Like we're seeing the best version of uh, this bike debuting first, whereas like the version that most people are going to buy, that most people are going to see and experience at track days and ride isn't out yet. And it's probably not as going to be overwhelmingly awesome. Even, make- even though 99.95% of the people that will buy the bikes would never be able to tell the difference between the two well that's the interesting part right and and you know if honda it does sound like honda really did their homework with the electronics package and, and it's like you sit there like oh it's only got 190 horsepower and I'm like you know if uh, the electronics are good and the chassis is good and it's got good mechanical grip it might not really make a difference not at all for for most riders nope but not even a little bit but you know that's the thing with with these bikes like we you could have said this for the last decade or so about these bikes and it's you absolutely can and at it, least yeah. a decade yeah anything over 160 horsepower yeah honest especially for most street riders i think it's ridiculous to say that you that any of it's needed any more than another to go quickly or to get have your jollies i think control pow, controlled power is, is more what it's about so when the say the in 2004 when that ninja came out the zx10 Oh my God, gnarly thing! Really, really gnarly. Very powerful, but we could barely control it. It was a, it was a, a much less sweet handling thing than even the GSXR of that era. That time, you think about the power that was being produced, and then them softening it up over time. And Honda always had a kind of a fairly powerful bike, but not that powerful. It was just heavy. And I don't think it was, yeah, it's, it, it, all of them, and not, none of it, but the 1098 when it came out in 07, big torque and power at the same time, that that caused a stir because it was usable, super usable. And finally, uh, you could you could have that up above 160 horsepower, but in a torquey, easier to manage uh, way. Now, I don't know, there's just, it's, they're all such overkill to me. I ride a Panigale, and that's amazing. Twelve ninety nine is better than eleven ninety nine because you've got more usable power, right? You don't have to rev the crap out of it and scare yourself. Yeah, it's it's boggles my mind that this is where we're at. But I think that's one of the reasons why the the thousand cc market's kind of just meh because most people are like, I don't I don't need that. I don't need it. Well, it's an interesting it's an interesting part of the segment, right? Like. Um you know, it's definitely, these are bikes that are sold on spec sheet. These are bikes that are sold yeah. on whistles and bells. Yeah. So, you know, I can see, you know, the Honda engineers being like 190 horsepower. Like, why would we give you any more? You're not going to need any more. Let's, let's focus on other things. Let's focus on you know, what they're calling total control. Let's focus on electronics yeah. and yeah. chassis package and brakes and suspension and blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, you're probably right. But unfortunately that's one, not 
how you're going to get measured, you know, in the, in the marketplace until that's just, you know, marketing side of it. It's, you have to have a 200 horsepower superbike right now. Yeah. And then Honda came out with a 190 horsepower bike. And I, in a way, I feel like they brought a, uh, a knife to a gunfight in that regard. I'm sure the bike's going to be great. I'm really looking forward to riding it. I actually really like the way it looks, but I worry they're going to lose a little brand perception on that. And then, um, you know, I think, I think that speaks also kind of to where Honda is in general when it comes to its sport bikes with the super sport class probably going away for Honda. And, and, you know, we're kind of interesting to see where they're at with their super bike program right now. Sure. Uh, let's move on from the Honda and talk about the, other big announcement at Intermont, which was the 2017 Suzuki GSXR 1000. All right, handsome bike. I like it. Yeah, I like it a lot. My the thing that kills me, and I think I think I probably would have lost my mind. I probably would have just like had a jizzgasm uh, on the computer when I saw it if we hadn't seen this bike last year in yeah. basically the same form and just kind of like they kind of teased it too too early. Sure, it lost a lot of steam because truthfully, I think. It's an amazing machine, you know, mechanical variable valve timing with the, the ball bearings and how they're doing that, yeah. I think is really clever, uh, especially to get around the rules in MotoGP for, for valve timing. Sure. Variable valve timing. So to bring that to a street bike, it's a good looking bike. Suzuki, you know, they call it the king of the super bikes. And, and I think that's a title that's been well earned over several model iterations, iterations, literations. Iterations. Iterations. I don't know. I said literations. Um, I'm not drunk. I'm not. You're actually, literally I'm not, not actually drunk. drunk. <laughs> just, just not very good with the elocution. Electrocution. Oh, not electrocution. Elocution. Why do these words sound so similar? <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think the new Jixer, That's gonna be. That's gonna be tough to beat. Uh, at least at that. At that price point. Um, expecting it to if come around. If you like a screaming four-cylinder, because that'll be a screamer. It's going to be a 1,000 RPM higher than the current one, which that takes a lot, right, When you, especially when you got a um, larger engine. So a 1,000 RPM on a 600, not nearly as difficult to engineer that into it as on the 1,000 where you've got a, a lot of heavier components that are spinning, and it's an exponent uh, as far as forces and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So to have it, spending a thousand rpm more which i don't know where does that put its rev limit at but up there nah. 14 15,000 rpm something like that yeah that's nasty that's how you get power though and so that's what they're doing that's that's a screaming four cylinder for sure honda's probably going to be very similar but i have this feeling the honda will just be that little bit much more sedate a little bit much you know it's not going to rev as quick uh the yamaha has the has the cross plane which is a big deal um, and that was actually something that was interesting to see that didn't come over to the Suzuki. You know, we, we, we see the same valve train technology coming over from the MotoGP bike to the street bike, but we didn't see uh, the cross-plane motor. So in MotoGP, Suzuki runs a cross-plane in line four, um, just the same as, as Yamaha does. So interesting choice for them not to bring that to the street market. And I'm, I'm kind of curious what the theory was behind that that makes you wonder if they would have to pay some sort of royalty to yamaha or is it a patented deal i don't think i don't think that's the case but i do think there's kind of an honor system there uh the japanese companies are always a little bit like that sometimes i wouldn't say there's collusion but there there always some seems to be some sort of deference on certain things like face like if they had to come up with the the that for their street bikes and they would have to sound this would end up sounding similar to the yamaha and it'd be like um, I don't know, saving, 
Saving face by not copying, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. It, it's of note. It's something of note. Um, the other thing of note is there's there's actually going to be two new Jixers. There's the uh, GSXR 1000, and then there's also the GSXR 1000R, which is a mouthful to say. The first time that they've had a, a special like that in a really long time. Yeah, and, and this is, you know, we had a conversation before the show about homologation specials and... and I don't think it needs to, to be repeated too far, but this is kind of one of those kind of homologation bikes. But when you look at it, I'm not really sure how much of a homologation bike it really is. It it, it seems to me more like the um, like what Ducati's always done with the the Panigale S and what Yamaha has kind of taken a page out of with the um, R1M. And then obviously Aprilia does this with the RSV4 RF, where it's not necessarily like a true homologation special in the sense that like we're seeing like really smart changes to the chassis and engine so that race teams can use those changes because they need them for the racetrack between because there's always that compromise between street and track um so making some of those changes so it's less of a compromise but in this case it really seems to be more of like a different set of features because for that extra r you're basically getting an up and down quick shifter launch control uh you're getting the cornering abs you're getting better suspension, but that wouldn't make a difference in, in racing because you're getting that the Showa balance free forks, which has the gas cartridge at the bottom. That's the easiest way to tell the difference between the uh, yep. the R spec and the regular spec, and then the uh, um, Showa balance free rear cushion, rear shock, which is an interesting design because they say that uh, the way it's designed, you don't need to have different settings for high speed and low speed compression. And the only real like mechanical change seems to be just the way the top triple clamp is designed. It's a hmm. little bit lighter. Hmm. So uh, I think it's really more of a case of just Suzuki making two different price points and trying to just make uh, make a strong case on why you should give them probably a couple thousand bucks more. <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. Um, but it'll be very. I'll be very curious to see how that bike. Did they talk about any uh, if it was limited or small amounts or? I haven't heard anything to that effect. I'm I'm sure it'll be more limited, but I bet. You could walk into any dealership and grab one. What about the Kawasaki? The cow. Ka- so that's the that's the third superbike. The interesting uh, announcement at Intermont. So there's the Kawasaki ZX10R. Well, I should say Kawasaki Ninja yeah. ZX10. Ninja, please. RR. So you get an extra. Arr. 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 I wish it was like International Talk Like a Pirate Day like during Intermont because it would have been. Kidding me? There's so many R's. Yeah. Um. So that does actually get a uh, a bevy of changes, and I think that is you know a true homologation. A bevy. A bevy. I love the word bevy. If you don't read, you, you surely must notice on asphalt and rubber how often you use the word bevy. I haven't, but I I mean it's a great word. It flows well, right? Mm-hmm. Could you say you had a veritable cornucopia of changes? I say venerable a lot as well. Venerable, but not veritable. Not veritable. <laughs> that's something else. That's that's like your valve timing. <laughs> veritable that my valve time is all veritable <laughs> veritable <laughs> vegetable could you say I, I didn't eat my veritables last night with my dinner we have a plethora of changes plethora plethora anyways you'd have to watch three amigos to get that have you ever seen that movie a long time ago okay all right sorry. i just remember the part like they kind of like zip line in at some point at like the end during the big fight scene yeah yeah zip line yeah sure it was a chevy chase and some other guys. A couple other guys. A couple other guys. Mm-hmm. That's a little before my time. Yeah. I, I was pretty... I, that's one of those movies, like, I probably... 
was too young to watch it or to appreciate it. So well, certainly yeah. to appreciate it, but like, it's one of those things like that was probably like, I probably should have been in bed when that was on TV. That's I'm showing my Steve. age a little bit. Steve Martin, Martin, Martin short. Yeah. Chevy chase, Chevy chase. Yep. Well, uh, all the listenership should go out and watch three amigos. You will be amused. I will say that. And maybe Netflix it, Netflix and chill. Netflix and chill. And, and then you'll see a plethora of piñatas. You'll understand that. <laughs> that reference will make sense. Uh-huh. Okie dokie. Okay, all of the changes is, is <laughs> all the changes. on all of the all of these bikes and all of the R's and thousand C's. And frankly, I'm bored to death with it. Like and just in general, I I like going back to what we were talking about earlier. I could give a shit about these this open class any longer. I just it does not matter to me. They're all overkill. <laughs> So that's neat that there's some technologies coming out. It's cool if they're doing things to increase rev so that it can go make more horsepower, but I just don't care. I couldn't, I don't, I wouldn't buy one of those to ride around the track myself. So uh, I, I get it when people want it though. I totally understand it, but I think the Superbike class should go back to 750. I think you'd see a lot more improvement and efficiencies and whatnot if they were Doing it with smaller bikes, and I just think the thousands are overkill. Well, that's an interesting point. I mean, I don't know if I agree with you about the leader bike class or the the super bike class. I I enjoy it a lot. I think there's some really cool bikes in this class. I love the RSV4. I love how it's different from, say, a Panigale, which is different than what the Japanese brands are coming out. I think Yamaha's carved out a good little niche for itself with the cross plane that's going to set us aside from from other bikes i think the technology is fantastic in this space if we go back to a 750 cc class then i think you really do have to make an argument for getting rid of the super sport class and just saying like there's going to be a a class instead of two classes and then there'll be intermediate classes and and entry-level classes that are much smaller displacements you, know, yep, you have like i agree with all that 300 cc class a 500 cc class yeah getting people in uh in, in general uh on a 600s i just don't i don't think it works i think it should be a smaller smaller size for sure well we are seeing that to some extent we're definitely seeing a lot more uh offerings coming out for the 300 cc market and uh, that and, really and world superbike is going to be there there's a the class so for the smaller yeah super sport three super sport 300 class which is going to be very interesting to see how they balance the formula because you got a lot of different bikes with different engine configurations and different displacements all being kind of homologated. Uh, the, the Honda CBR 500 is going to be allowed to race in this class, which I think is really weird. It sounds like, it sounds like it's going to be a little bit like how the old Daytona sport bike class was. Yeah. Where it's you like, got okay. You 1125R yeah. going against the 600, going against 675 triple, going against Ducati 848. Right. And, and that so confused it, a lot of people, but you know what? That class was rad, and it worked out, especially for Buell. Especially for Buell. Um, but we talked about that. I mean, there's there's interesting parts to to why that worked, but it, it all comes down to how you balance the formula. So I doubt the – well, we'll see what kind of concessions like the CBR500 gets compared to, say, the Yamaha R3 or the KTM RC390. Actually, I'm not even sure the RC390 is homologated for it. Um, Didn't so you use the picture of that in your in the story? I might have. <laughs> Dude, you have to understand how many stories I read last week. Uh-huh. Like it's it's. I'm not even sure what I had for dinner last night. Uh-huh. So uh, I I might be wrong, but I swore when I saw that there was one bike. I, I think you're right. I think you're absolutely right. 
So thank you for pointing it out. But there was, when I remember writing the story and I remember that being like a glaring omission and maybe it was just the Honda, um, but there was one bike. You know, the R3 is actually like 320 cc's. Right. And it causes like the the local uh, organization had to, you have to be careful about where you can put the limits because they are, the Yamaha had to be increased, like the, what is it? What is the Yamaha is a twin cylinder, right? Yeah, it's a two cylinder. So they had to adjust that so that it could be 321 or something so that, those people could ride those bikes. It's like, ah, pain in the butt to have to think about that. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's that's why it's kind of an, an interesting class and they're going to have to make a lot of concessions because they were, we're seeing a huge gamut. Like the BMW is 318 cc's and the RC390 is not 390. I think it's 378 or something weird like that because people can't do numbers. It's all over the place. And where I think we're still kind of waiting to see how things kind of balance out. And maybe this Super Sport 300 class will add a little bit more structure to this this segment. So, yeah. you know, we'll say like, hey, okay, so off the bat for the first few years, we're gonna let you guys kind of use whatever you've been manufacturing, but you know, maybe privately they'll be like, okay, so we're gonna be pushing towards a 300 CC displacement or a 350 CC displacement or whatever displacement to to make sense of it and these will be future rule iterations that you guys should factor into your product planning maybe i don't know i have i have no pre uh knowledge on on that issue but that's how i would imagine it going down it'd be interesting it'd be interesting i think we're going to see a lot more small displacement bikes debut at eichma as well because that 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 whole segment is just blowing up and i think the industry is kind of catching on to the fact that like like you said before, putting new riders on 600cc bikes is a really dumb idea. Yep. And we've seen that in the tier licensing around the world. We don't have that here in the US, but I think there are at least people making good, smart decisions. If you want to go out and buy a new bike, like, hey, a Ninja 300 is a great bike to get on. An R3 is a great bike to get on. The CBR, eh, not so much. That's probably why we're seeing the new one come out, but interesting, interesting movements. Do we kill, do we get, do we talk sport bikes enough to death for you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you want to move on to the hipster bikes? Oh, yeah. Really? I'm all about them. Oh yeah, I can't wait. I can't. I, I feel like you're not sincere about that. Mm, let me go get my mustache wax. <laughs> uh, I do think it is an interesting trend to see how many of these bikes are still coming out. Um, the BMW Scrambler launch was just this last week as well. <laughs> I heard they crash real good. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's awful. <laughs> so we're, well, we're talking about heritage bikes. So, oh, yeah. so we're talking about the BMW Scramble launches this week. And then BMW turns around and releases um, uh, the, racer thing. the Racer, which is a cafe racer version of the R9T. Good and the, looking bike. And the Pure, which is just like a standard looking uh, well, Is it a price point one? No, they're all about kind of the same price point. I, from what I remember, I think I kind of, I think I saw axial mounted brakes, like like parts bin cheapo shit on both of those bikes, which I was like, ha, great way to do it, guys. Fucking dumb it down, paint it up pretty, poserific, pose that shit up, put it up, pose, and that's good. That's what they'll, they'll sell bikes that way, right? They'll I mean, make they'll, some money. They'll make money on it. They'll that's make for money, sure. and I can't hack on them because you know what? You don't need radial mount brakes at all. You don't. You don't need it. Stupid. But uh, for the street, for these bikes, it'll be fine. So if they can build those bikes at price points and sell them to people that are mostly going to pose, right on. Because it will handle great and it'll break great. It'll be just fine. It'll just be a little less expensive. So good on them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm kind of... I'm kind of leery of this space, to be honest. So you're, you're kind of leery about the leader bikes. I'm kind of leery about this space because I just think it's kind of done. And there's definitely a, a punk is dad uh, element to 
I, <laughs> I'm not going to cut this out because it's so good. Just watching the microphone cartwheel across the room. What'd you do? Did you hear one bit of that though? Like that was silent. That was silent. I, I if, I had, get, if I hadn't lost my shit watching it, we could have we could have just glossed right I, over. It. I was just trying to move the mic stand, and it went. It, I mean, it was balance. The balance point was. Ex- I, I must have had it like on the on a nice edge of balance right before yeah. that. Sure. Wow. Good recovery. Yeah. Okay. That almost makes up for your cell phone going off at the start of the show. That that level of professionalism. At least it wasn't my normal ringtone, which is kind of like a funk. It's like a funky little, yeah, bounce, bounce, bounce. It was just a ding, ding, right? Yeah. Okay, man. You were really about to go into something. Yeah, you really fucked up my flow. Um, I don't even know where I was anymore. I just, yeah, I feel like this 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 segment's done. I feel like. Uh, BMW is putting so many bikes in this space. Ducati's putting in a bunch of bikes in this space. Yamaha's bringing the SCR 950, which is basically a tarted up Yamaha bolt. They're bringing that to the European market. Triumph brought another bike out, the uh, uh, Street Cup. Triumph's been doing this though. Tri- Triumph has been, been doing here. this for 10, yeah, 10 15 don't, years. Don't call it a comeback. They've been yeah. here all along. They, they, there's, and you know what? Good on them. Because again, they're but honestly, making... I think that's what's been keeping the brand alive. For I don't, sure. No, I don't. How many people are buying Daytonas right now? How many people are buying Street and Speed Triples right now? I was at a Triumph dealership not long ago. We were talking about just some of the models used and new because uh, that's what I do for a living. I bet, I bet the Tigers do okay. Mm, it depends on the ones, right? Those 1,200 ones? Ooh. No, yeah, no, not the anchors. The 800s right? are doing okay. 800s though. are all right. But I, I saw a R version of a 675. It was pre-owned. And I was looking at it. it was, I was, cool bike. Yep, sure. And I saw the shock. I was like, fuck, that's a TTX. And I didn't really know that they came out. I thought about it. I asked this guy about it. He's like, yeah, you know, we had one of those S-Lick models here, and it stayed here for a really long time. And they had to finally, it took months and they had to like let it go for just over invoice because it just languished i'm like that's very interesting coming from a a ducati shop where if they'd have done a similar thing if ducati had done like the nikki hayden rep yeah absolutely everyone would gone 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 quick those who were out the door so quick yeah absolutely and it wasn't even trick it was just a paint job Uh, but on on the on the s look wheel it was more expensive and it had a bunch of components like you got a bunch of trick shit with it like rear sets and other paraphernalia that was more than just your normal r model and i guess it just because the price was much more the triumph people and that that's what he was trying to say is he didn't quite understand why there's such a differentiation between Triumph enthusiasts and say other European brand enthusiasts. Because if you'd have done a similar thing on BMW, I think you'd get some play with BMW. Ducati for sure. Yeah. If you're going to provide a replica Chaz Davis bike right now, even though most people don't know who that is, but if you if it came with like rear sets and the you know big Terminioni system and a bunch of other trick shit that might kind of make it look like it's partially the race bike, even though it wouldn't be even one single nut or bolt like the real race bike, it, it would sell if, I'm it, sure. if you put the the akrapovich weird mid mid uh mid pipe exhaust thing oh on my it, god the that, shotgun exhaust yeah, out the that back would, that would ex- that would do it just that alone yeah right and it would say okay we can charge thirty five thousand dollars for this so anyway interesting dynamics there we got that whereas m- what they were talking about all day long bonneville's uh antiquated shit thruxton's horrible antiquated yep. hey hey we need to put faux carburetors on these bikes or else we're not going to sell them okay and they do and that's horrible Right, it pisses me off to no end. Well, that's that's well, that's always been my kind of visceral reaction to this whole segment. But but Triumph has been there <laughs> since day one. Like they 
they're the ones that did it. And, and, and to their credit, they had a line, they have a heritage line that's, that resonates well with it. They, they're kicking it ass and taking names with them. So kicking keep, asphalt and rubber. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I just thought of that. You've seen pictures of, from the late nineties, the BMW cruiser. Oh uh, yeah. So would you call that? There's no heritage no, there. No, 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 no. Cause that's, that's like, it's own, that's almost like the, the victory lineup. Where it's just like, that's just too modern. It's too much of a modern take on an old bike. It's like the, um, it's like the Mike Halewood, the MHE 900. Yeah. You know, where it's just, it's just too, it's too much of a modern riff on an old design. Yeah. Be, but that's that what hard. started the sport classic models. Once no, they no, did no, that. I, I give you that. And the sport classics are, I think are a better, like, Hey, let's do a heritage type bike. And they were legit. They weren't just yeah. heritage. They actually functioned and they were yeah, I'm right. Not, I'm not hating on them. I'm not hating. I'm just saying like, that's how the, the BMW cruise was when we're like, yeah, you're doing kind of a throwback thing, but you're doing such a modern take on it that it's, here's a great example. And this is actually what I brought up in the story. It's like what Husqvarna is doing with the Vipulin and the Svartpulin, uh, street bikes where like, they're like these like neo modern ruminations on old designs like they're they're modern bikes like the mike halewood that was even even more so but yeah yeah it's that same idea like hey we're taking an old aesthetic but we're we're making it modern we're making we're doing some modern lines some modern color choices you're you're, it's it looks like a new bike but you can definitely tell that there's throwbacks and calls to to vintage yeah you know kind of lines and things like that and i think that's not post heritage it's it's something different. I think it's going to be the next kind of thing. I think we're, that's where this segment is going to evolve to. And I think that's why, like, I look at uh, BMW and Ducati and, like, Honda and some of the Japanese manufacturers kind of have, like, these little vintage bikes that they're coming out with. And, like, I get a very much a, like, dad is punk vibe from them. Punk is dad. Punk is dad. Sorry. The, the, that's the dyslexia. For, yeah, that's interesting. The, yeah. the and for those who don't know or haven't seen that, that's a classic. You know, punk is dead, and that was always fuck that. Punk's not dead now. Mm-hmm. Punk yeah. is dad. Punk is dad because yeah, dad was into punk. And and I went to a punk show recently, and there were a lot of people that were, and I'm 40 basically, right? And there was a lot of people that were 10 years older than me there, yeah. and they were absolutely dad. And there's nothing wrong with it. But it's interesting that that's the dynamic. It's moved on. And to see that over 30 or 40 years now since punk was punk, it's 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 a similar thing with the motorcycle deal. I know that sounds like how the heck can you can you bring a, a, a bring those together, but it's true. It's you you get these older bikes that are kind of meh. even the Ducati Scramblers. I don't know. We see a lot of a lot of everybody, whether it be young people new to the brand, young people that that aspired to have a Ducati that couldn't justify or couldn't even wouldn't even look at it before. Then we have a lot of punk is dad type of dudes that are coming in and it harkens back to their days, whether it be on a Yamaha in the 70s. It could have been a scrambler of another brand, but these bikes look the part. They function they function extremely well. But they're you and I might look at it kind of like meh. Not my gig, not my jam, not really. I don't want something that just looks old. I want it to work well. So unless they're going to come out with stuff that works a little bit better, I'd rather just have a monster, right? If if I'm going to go for a naked Ducati, I'd rather have a monster. But I can't get that in the uh, in, in that air-cooled version any longer. So then I'm just kind of like, all right, I'll get something else. Yet. I'll keep do what? Can't get one yet. Uh, hmm, uh-huh. That's right. You had your spy photos. You posted yeah. the spy photos, yeah. right? 
yeah. and which was of a monster. It's, fa- it's fappening. It's fappening. It's all fappening now. <laughs> And which is a monster that's an 800 air cooled again, there or something similar to that, right? But yeah, see, and I think I think that that bike, which I, I I assume we'll see at ICMA this year, uh, that bike I feel like is the response to what you were just saying, like, hey, I want an air cooled 800 cc. I don't really want a scrambler. Can you give it to me some other way? Oh yeah, hey, we'll give you a little monster. But the heritage. If you're creating a monster and you've done a bunch of air water cooled monsters over the past few years, and all of a sudden you have to go back. You go back, way back, and 20 years ago, 20. That's that's vintage, right? Nah. According to the state of California, it is. There we go, 20 right? 20 years. Is it 20 or 25? Whatever it is, forget, it's close enough because it's, it's going to be 2017, and that bike started off in 1992 or 93, so it's close enough. You're looking at heritage. So if the monster comes out and it's naked and it looks, even evokes a little bit of that original, and it's not... You know, the last time they did the 20th anniversary or the last time when they did the 20th anniversary in 13, they did a pretty good job of taking those bikes and get, giving all the styling cues and a few of the things that that were uh, critical to the original monster. But at that time, those bikes had been played out and were done and they were phasing it out. And not a lot of people liked that version of the monster and not a lot of people liked the current version, the A21-1200. So... I like them better than the old version. I'll tell you that. That's me. I'm a weirdo. I'm Fair a weirdo enough. with the monsters. I get. I don't. I don't. I don't really have a horse in the game either way. I'm not a monster rider. I don't really like personally. I don't like those. I'd rather have that than a scrambler. But I'm. I'm more of a. I so. You don't. You'd rather have. A I rode the scrambler. I was really pooping when the scrambler came out. I'm not gonna lie. I rode a scrambler again recently, and I was like, wouldn't buy one as my first bike. Wouldn't buy one as my only bike. I was like, I kind of get it. I get sure. a little bit more. I would need to like drop another like 1500 and changes 15 2000 dollars and changes uh, to make it the what i would want but i could get it i i'd i'd want it to be a 900 even though i'm not normally a horsepower person i just like torque so i i want if i could have my air-cooled two-valve 1100 engine in that i that would satiate me enough to be like okay maybe with the handlebars and the and the front end and all that stuff yeah, i'd want to make it more like a street tracker kind of gm fair enough and yeah. that's what i do or i just have a Multistrada 1100 and be have, be done. There's that too. What I wanted to get to though is where I see this segment going is where that's so that's where I get kind of poopy with the Japanese brands. That's my my oh, punk yeah. is dad element yeah. where I'm just like, oh, you see the fact that you guys are even getting in on this is yeah. telling me how done it is. Yeah, totally. And so like I worry about BMW and Ducati and I don't really worry about Triumph because they're just going to keep doing it no matter what because they're Triumph and they don't have a clue what they're doing. But they'll they'll they're building out these big robust heritage lines and I'm like, guys, like. It's like 2 a.m. and like people are clearing out from the party and the keg is empty and like you're just kind of lingering around in the shadows now. Like you're going to be the creepy dude at the party in a minute here. Whereas I see like, uh, I mean, KTM's not getting into this this fight at all, but Husqvarna is with their bikes and seeing what they're doing with the 401 and the 701 models, uh, the white arrows and the black arrows. That's what Vipulin uh, and Svartpulin translate to. I think those are a good evolution of of the heritage lines into something new and different. Whereas, like it's it's more modern. They're they're using modern elements. Uh, are using modern. How do I want to say this? Technical elements with a little bit more vintage lines, but it's still very neo vintage to me. If that makes sense, and I like it. Like that for me. Like I could get behind like a cafe racer that looks like a alternate universe history kind of thing. Like you know, what if. Like kind of steampunk in a way. Like yeah. what if what if bikes were only made this way? Like how sure. would they evolve into something modern now? I like it. It works for me. 
Yeah, I don't mind it we'll, either. We'll see. I have no issue with it. I think that's those are cool. I don't really have any problem with any one of these, in the, including the you know the BMW scrambler thing that which is what we started talking about with the crazy, the crazy journalist thing. Uh, ah, yeah, that just is compromise. A lot of it ends up being compromised. The the Yamaha thing that's a compromise. They're just trying to ride on the last vestiges of the of the fad. Get a little bit more. Eh, all right, whatever. I don't. I'm I'm not impressed by those, but the rest of them okay, including the racer version of the BMW. Um, what, the R nine T. The R nine T. Yeah, that's good. It looks cool. It's really well it looked, done. It looked really well done. It looked a lot better than the pure. The pure. I'm just like, man, it's too. It's too standard ish for me. The, see, when you say the pure, I guess I'm gonna have to look at it again. Does it just look like the original R nine T? It kind of does in a way. Like I was like, like, how did you? Like, how'd you guys sit around in the boardroom and come up with something like this? Here, I'll, I'll, I'll flip my, my iPad around for you. Yeah, it looks like an R19 it looks to like me. looks like an R19, right? Yeah. Looks like, what was the, the product differentiation? I have a sneaking suspicion that the Lock Rose concept, that vintage GS, Yeah, I think we're going to see that at ICMA as an R19 platform bike. Which would make perfect sense because there's heritage for days and all the people that lament how big and piggy and horrible and awful and heavy and stupid GSs have gotten over the past 20 years. We'll look back to one of the more functional motorcycles that ever has existed, which is the original GS. R100 GS, yeah. Dude, those bikes, I have a good friend with one that we went in Eastern Oregon with, and he was the only one that could keep up with the Terra Corsa off-road in the mud. And that was something of note, man. It was like all day long, skinny tires, simple bike, air-cooled, flat twin, Back to basics. And that picture of that, what did you call it again? The something rose something? Lock rose. The lock rose um, evokes that. It's not quite that simple, but it's got some of the newer technologies. Fair enough. So I'd rather see BMW do that than you know, some scram- quote unquote scrambler bullshit that's really not, right? And the same goes for Ducati. If it's not really a scrambler. It's not. No. It's, a, it's not. It's it's none of them really are though. That's a fake for sure. Even the Triumph Scrambler really isn't that much. Oh of a scrambler. God, of course not. It's the worst of them all. It's the stupidest, heavy, dumb, fucking heavy, heavy, dumb thing. But the Scrambler Ducati, you know, you you jump that once, it's going to break, right? So that's not cool. But as a street bike, it's rad. So it makes up for it. But then it is. It's kind of a poser machine. So if any one of these things turns real, if they made them real. And in that case, that, again, the rose something or other. Lock rose. That <laughs> was real. Shit looked like you could literally race it. Could I look at these bikes and I say, would I do the Baja 500 on that? Would I do Barstow to Vegas on that bike? That is a scrambler. So you can ride it to the destination to start the race, ride the race and go through it on in a desert way. That For me, that's a, that's a true scrambler. See, I don't know if you're going to be able to do that with the R90 chassis or not. I'd be curious to see. I don't know. Did, but I think, it, I think at least it's a bike or it's a model that has some some ground in history. It looks good. If you, you know, people should go look this up. It's on Asphalt and Rubber. It's on other sites. Just type in Lock Rose, BMW Lock Rose concept, LAC Rose. It's a lake near um, where the Dakar Rally and ends near. Uh, oh, I did not know that. It's yeah. LAC, Lock Rose. Because the only thing yeah. I is hearing you say it, Lock Rose. Yeah. Huh. I'm okay. probably not pronouncing it as French as I should be. Oui. Très bien. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see what, what comes out. I'm very curious about that. I'm very just, 
I, I mean, it's not my, it's no skin off my back. If it gets people riding bikes, awesome. Yeah. I, I just feel like yeah. OEMs are going to be dumping a lot of money into the space or are dumping a lot of money into the space because they see that's where new riders are coming from. But I think they're also underestimating how fickle the tastes are here and how uh, finite the window of opportunity is. Um, Makes me want to listen to our podcast from last year at the same time talking about all the stuff that was coming out at between Intermont and Eichmann. Well, Intermont wasn't last year. Intermont wasn't last year, so we started it around Eichmann. So we should, I I should probably revisit it because it's interesting year to year what we're talking about and what has changed because it, it feels like it's only been a month, right? Yeah. Um, And at this time and these times, I don't really know where the industry's going and I'm not really bothered either way. There's a lot of good motorcycles out there. The one thing I I will say to to change gears a little bit where the industry is going that I like, and this was my third point in my my story and we can finish up on it, is the introduction of of IMUs into street bikes. So inertial movement units. Measurement. Measurement. I always fuck that up. Bowel movement. Bowel movement. Measurement. We were were talking about that earlier. I think the movement... You the were, movement. I'm you not, got that going on. I feel pretty strong about that. <laughs> really? There's some shows where I'm just like, man. Well, we had, so to, to be fair, this was an earlier to, conversation with other people. And we, and unfortunately, we were eating was, Indian food. Let's, let's preface with that. <laughs> let's just be really honest about it. Uh, you're trying to curry favor with the audience, aren't you? <laughs> So anyway, there was some there was some poop puns. That. There were some poo puns coming out, and that was uh <laughs> coming out, get it? <laughs> so uh, not one that. of our better shows. <laughs> Just, I mean we we're gonna poopins. Poo puns. Oh man. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Inertial measurement units. <laughs> IMUs. Not emus. Not IMUs. Not BMUs. Not bowel not, movement. Not units. IOUs. Uh, <laughs> not IBS. You know, we. Oh, man. <laughs> hey, that's a real thing. We're going to have to do a live show soon, and you <laughs> need to, like, right? fucking lock uh, it down because this is going to be a shit show. <laughs> a shit show, killer? You said it, and you didn't even mean to. Uh, oh, it's a shit show. <laughs> it's been a good year of podcasting with uh, you, Quentin. It's a shame it's going to be over. Are we gonna? Are we gonna in front of the audience? Are we gonna be on stools? <laughs> Just tell me when you're done. Tell me. Tell me when you're ready to finish the show. It's only been like an hour and fifteen minutes. I can wait. Oh, sorry. Inertial all, measurement units. We're all waiting for go you. Go back into it. <laughs> can can you imagine if you could take the continuum of the most highly technical, amazing, proper thing going from an inertial measurement unit <laughs> to a probably, stool joke? Probably one of the most important things in the industry right now, and you reduced <laughs> it to a poop joke. Hi, Chihuahua. Sorry, it's a good one. So, anyway. We've been seeing the IMUs on a lot of bikes for a so, while. So, so yeah. So there's there's a couple things going on. Um, the the biggest thing is the Bosch MSC motorcycle stability control system, which which is better known as cornering ABS. And long story short, Bosch's system uses an IMU to help um, modulate the braking pressure when the bike's leaned over, so you don't 
tuck the front wheel by over applying the brakes when you're at maximum lane or any, 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 any lane, lane really. Yeah. But you can go pretty much to maximum lane, grab a fistful of brake and be fine. Um, very sophisticated unit. It's basically doing for the front wheel what traction control has done for the rear wheel in terms of safety and, and rider aids and electronic packages what bikes has this been on up to this point the bmw s 1000 rr right it's easier probably to name bikes that it hasn't been on to be truthful it's this is the new hot thing in the industry you'll see it on uh the very first bike was the ktm 1290 super adventure uh and then so we'll say it did this is something that did start on the street bikes but then you saw it immediately coming out on the high ends uh super bikes and it's permeated out across the industry and that was one of the big trends at Intermont this year was how many bikes were getting cornering ABS added on and all these systems are Bosch's system. The new Suzuki has it. The Kawasaki has it. The Honda has it. Um, I'm sure we're going to see the Yamaha get updated for 2017 with it. Uh, I don't remember which Ducatis have the cornering ABS. I'd have to think. Is it maybe just the 1299? I I know the Multistrada Enduro has it. The Multistrada 1200 has it. The Panigale S, I believe, has it. Um, but maybe just the 1299, because I don't think the 1199 had it. No, the 1199 did not. That was that was too early. Yeah. Very interesting system. So that that's and that's like the first onion layer to to this thing um, is is this kind of self-contained Bosch unit controlling the ABS. Now other brands have gotten more sophisticated and are using IMUs beyond just the braking systems, and they'll have it. Uh, affect how the traction control gets applied, how the throttle mapping works, uh, the it'll adjust the the, the ride by wire. Um, so we're seeing it permeate into a lot of other systems, and that's really important. And that's mostly happening on the superbike end of the spectrum, where it makes a lot more sense, where you're graphing uh, the motorcycle and plotting it uh, three dimensionally in space. X Y Z pitch and yaw, really and strange. Roll really strange shit for most people to get their head around is that it's not just i mean it's a very complicated deal to have six axes on with this right yeah and so and so like that's actually you know i was talking about the r1 not having the cornering abs but it does have an imu and it has a six axis. it has a six axis imu doing this exact thing so that's one of the really cool things about when the yamaha came out it wasn't just like hey we have traction control it's like no we have slide control we can give you like rossi mode where you get the bike leaned over through the turn and you whack the throttle or you modulate the throttle and it will actually control how far out the rear wheel steps to initiate a power slide and that's one of the things that like the imu is allowing on a performance side Whereas like, you know, we're seeing mostly with the Bosch unit of how the IMU can work on the safety side. And we're just scratching the surface of this kind of technology. I mean, we were joking um, uh, a couple of colleagues and I before the the Honda debuted about what kind of electronic packages it could be. And I was like, well, we know it's going to have an IMU. You know, what could it be like? Oh, it could have push button wheelies because you can do that with an IMU because you know exactly what the yep. the rate of change of the, of the front wheel coming off the ground, the pitch of the bike, and whether or not it's going to know what whether what or not it's about to it's loop up. itself in sure. front of a photographer or not and things like that. And, and you could ostensibly have an algorithm that had it get up to a certain point and then applied rear brake at necessary and kept, kept you from uh, over accelerating. You could probably just hold the throttle all the way open in this mode and do, if if you had somebody that was crazy enough to develop that al- algorithm that the lawyer said okay to <laughs> right right you know right. what i mean right. we're going, we're going almost a hyperbole here but yeah yep i that, mean that it, is where this could it. take all up. the in every gear you could just click 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 through the gears hold the thing wide open and just get to a 
45 degree angle. In fact, you could probably do 12 o'clock wheelies if you, if dank wheelies, dank 12 o'clock wheelies all day long. That would be really interesting. All day long. But sliding sideways. Ugh. God, I can't imagine the, I mean, you, it really is dumbing down the, well, it's smartening the vehicles, but the more this goes, the more of those of us who are lucky enough to have ridden motorcycles when there were no electronic controls kind of look at it like, well, you're taking away all of the craft, so much of the craft of riding a motorcycle. But I also can't blame it because it's pretty rad to be able to do it. It's pretty cool. And I think, you know, I think you you make a good argument for the racetrack for me and this is why it was such a big deal um the kawasaki well this is what i'm getting my this is what i'm pausing in europe it's the kawasaki z1000 sx here in the u.s it's the kawasaki ninja 1000 so we're seeing the european model with this and kawasaki was very clear right before intermot started that the models debuting were for the european market that the north american market models would debut at a later time at the yeah. kawasaki dealer meeting so we still have to kind of use the right terms when we're talking about some of these bikes because there's no guarantee this is coming to the u.s uh from europe um but it was very interesting to see that the kawasaki z1000 sx is getting a six axis imu that affects traction control throttle mapping braking um you can ostensibly uh connect this to a semi-active suspension making it fully active um well maybe not fully active it would still be semi-active but you could have reactive uh, suspension in that regard programmed into the IMU. So it's like, oh yeah, you're, you're leaned over at, you know, 50 degrees lean angle. Yeah. I'm going to stiffen up that, that suspension for you. Things like that. Um, this is the first time we're seeing it implemented at such an integral level beyond just the corner ABS on a street bike. And that for me is a huge moment. Like that's for like, it's weird that this like little street bike, it's a you know Kawasaki Ninja 1000. It's a great little street bike, but it's not like one of those like blow your socks off models. No, yeah, sure. But it's coming out with such an important technology. It's bringing such an important implementation of an important technology to the street for the first time. And that for me, like this is going to be like, like put a little push pin on this date for, for Intermont. And that's when this happened, because I guarantee you uh, over the next, not even three model years, I'm like one, two, next couple of model years, this is going to be the new, the new hotness. And I think it's great. About five years ago, a friend of mine who had strange industry connection to uh, Honda's GP effort was telling me about this hocus pocus thing that they had on their GP bikes. That was he didn't know how to describe it other than that it was, uh, as we know now, an IMU. And it was a trickle down from the SEMO. Oh, yeah. The, right. the robot that falls down right. the stairs so all the time. We, we had this conversation <laughs> five years ago. Yeah. Five years ago. Google Google that. There's, yeah, there's some great mashup videos. Of hilarious, <laughs> right? But that that takes a bit to do to make a, a faux it's a human, huge thing. right? It is not as easy as it looks. Right? And, and so him talking about how this was a trickle down and that at the time, it, this was when Mark Marquez, I think, was in. It wasn't that many years ago. This would have been Moto 2. No, nah, maybe. But I know I think this was in when he was, was killing it in MotoGP the first year. So was that 2013? Maybe. Yeah. I don't even remember. Whatever it was, Mark Marquez was brought up and his phenomenality, right? Because he was obviously a phenom, obviously. But <clears throat> there was a bit of like, there's some shit on the bikes that he's riding that is so over the top amazing to allow the control to get the strategies for the traction control 
down oh, that yeah. it's helping tremendously to make it faster, right? And now to see, to think about racing, how important racing is to developing for even, for, you know, still to this day for street stuff, it's still very important. And I and thinking back to that, thinking, I wonder what it could be. It's like something that, and he, he made mention, it was like something you'd use in an airplane to, to gauge the forces that are being enacted on the motorcycle. And it, it's bizarre to think about how simple it is as, as far as a thing that's telling, telling the rest of the ECUs what to do. But it's not simple. It's, can you imagine the amount of man hour, woman hours, engineer hours, ASIMO hours it took to get to this, right? Well, you know, it's an interesting thing. Uh, I forget which show we were talking about electronics. But um, I can't remember because you've always had like really shitty f cell phones. So I can't remember what you've got now. But your phone probably has an IMU in it. My phone does. When yeah. you when you go on sure. Facebook and it's one of those 360 jammers, yep. that's how your phone... It's got an accelerometer, and yep. to some extent, some of them use cameras, the, the the changing of the image of the camera, but it's the same kind of technology, and so it's like, it's funny that we're sitting here having a jizzgasm over how great this this these <laughs> IMUs <laughs> are about for, for motorcycle control, but like, just about everyone listening to our show right now has this technology on their phone. It may not be as robust, it may not be yeah, as sure. powerful, and, and, and you know, I'm not saying you could plug your phone into but your... But they've mass-produced it for millions upon millions upon yeah. millions of people it's been refined in a package that's probably the size of your fingernail oh have you less. seen the chips oh yeah they're not even yeah like tip of your finger kind of thing uh really interesting stuff but you know that it's in a window into how slow the motorcycle industry is to develop certain technologies into into the bikes and stuff but for me it's it's great to see it coming to street bikes to see that that's going to be the next thing because one, it's going to add so much safety to motorcycles, um, and it make because it makes perfect sense in street bike applications. It's harder. I mean, it's just a different application for the street than it is the racetrack. I guess is the the point I'm trying to yeah. drive at. But it also opens up a window of of having this this unit that can make these measurements. Like there's there's features that we probably can't really even fathom yet that it will allow the creation of, just because it's just going to take things to the next level. Like I was talking about in the story, like I think there, if you and I sat down, we would probably come up with about six generations of superbike iteration, you know, starting with featherlight chassis, moving to twin spar frames, the movement from two stroke to four strokes, fuel injection, traction control. I think the IMU is the next marker in the generational gap. Whereas we're going to see bikes and we're at the very beginning of it. We're going to see bikes that use this technology in ways that we, they're going to elevate Can't fathom. the industry to another step. Yeah. And so it's, you know, my biggest thing was just saying like, this is, this is that point in time when we talk about it 10, 15 years later, talk about in the sense of it was the 2016 Intermont show where this got brought to the street, uh, bike market in, in a meaningful way that it was going to change things. You know, obviously according ABS with the IMU there has been around for a little bit longer, but this I feel is the, the tipping point. I wonder if at any point in time, somebody's going to come up with an algorithm that <clears throat> when it senses a stop, it'll or and senses that you want to go, that'll put the kickstand up, or or the other way around, put it down. I mean, think about that. Like you you come to a stop and you just kind of lean the bike, and the bike goes like, Bunk. well, if it's GPS, it's like, oh hey, we're at Jensen's house. I've come to a complete stop. I'm in the garage. I've come to a complete stop. I'm starting to get leaned over to the left. Kickstand down, right. 
That's, and then that's the you future. get on it, you turn it on. That's the future. And it just goes up. And then you go, Asimo, I'm ready to go. And it just falls over because <laughs> it brought the kickstand up. <laughs> and it falls down the stairs and it catches on fire. And you're like, yay, the robot revolution will wait a little bit longer. <laughs> All right. KSU, right? Hashtag. <laughs> Hashtag KSU. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag poop jokes. <laughs> All right, good talk. See you out there. All right, later. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it so funny? Bail money. I don't know. I think, you know, not to delve into politics too much, but if we got a situation. Are you going to turn your phone off before no, no, the show right. starts? <laughs> not to delve into politics too much, but I would Professional, say look at you. If the... Um,